Welcome to the Red Mountain Community Church podcast, where you can hear conversations with the people of Red Mountain Community Church as we try to pursue Jesus together. Each episode highlights what God is doing in someone's life or a specific theme, maybe, in light of what God has revealed in the Bible. I'm Peter Franson, your fellow seat warmer at Red Mountain Community Church. My co-host today is Brooklyn Meeker, our pastor of high school ministry. I think you've you've been a co-host on the show before, but or no, this is the first time. Because I was like, okay, yeah, no, because because you wouldn't have because you weren't a pastor before. But I knew that this was the first time that I was introducing you with that like title. Um, so tell me how. Um, how have you guys been adjusting to, I mean, I think a lot of people maybe are aware that, well, children's ministry is surely making all kinds of adjustments because of the building stuff going on, but, you know, they're, they're also kind of invading the space of that other ministries have been used to having to themselves, and everybody's having to make all these adjustments, especially that are, I think, using the gym building, maybe. So tell me, like, how you guys have been adjusting to the temporary arrangements required as children's ministry ha- has to kind of join you in the gym building for a year. Uh, tell me about what are some of the current challenges that that, that brings to the ministry that you're, like, trying to figure out? Well... <laughs> I think you said this on the last podcast. You were very encouraged by Kyle just leading from the front with be flexible. Like, let's mm, all be flexible yeah. with one another. Yeah. And I am thankful for our congregation that listens to leadership and specifically, <laughs> like, our high school volunteers, so small group leaders yeah. and the children's ministry workers. Everybody's, it's not like this is a ministry, this is a ministry, and we're competing. No, it's, hey, we're this Red Mountain family, this congregation together. And so I do feel like everybody has been flexible. And um, the Lord provides. Like, I mean, we we have a space, and you just at the end of the day have to say, like, wow, this is really incredible that we have a space Hmm. where we can come and we can gather. When you experience ministry other places and you say, yes, the church isn't the building. Yeah. It's very nice when you're like, hey, we have a building. Yeah. We have a place where we can meet. Yeah. And I even just think about it, too, of like the timing of things. I'm like, well, it's getting cooler out. Mm. Just get creative and we can, you know, have small groups, maybe start meeting outside in different locations. We have Hmm. a beautiful campus, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, And so... I, I'm thankful, like, oh, thank you, Lord, that it's during a time where it's going to be cooler. Yeah. And maybe start having small group time out on there. Because hmm. you, you feel you feel the adjustments of, like, small groups did all used to go to separate rooms. Mm-hmm. And now we're all in the gym. And I'm like, this is loud. This is this is loud. So <laughs> then people are like, oh, well, it's getting cooler. Maybe we'll go outside. I'm like, great, creative, mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. And ch- uh, children's Becky, Sarah, Natalie, Mary Ellen, the whole team, they're very kind and gracious of, like, yes, here, we're still in here, but use the room. And so... Mm. Your sister's group just went into oh. uh, a children's classroom, uh, okay. G9. Okay. So G9, if people don't know, has the, um, it used to be a nursery. So it has the padding underneath oh. the carpet. And she told me her girls were so thrilled with the padding under the carpet <laughs> that they were sitting on there and quieter small group time. Nice. Um, so yeah, people like leaders and students like are all being flexible. And that's mm. just all you can ask for. Of like, wow, thank you for being flexible and caring more about the whole church rather than just our ministry. Yeah. So, oh, that's yeah. great. That's great to hear. Okay. So now we have our irresistible question for the episode. And I usually don't give 
my co-host this question early, but when I saw this one, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to think really hard about this. I, I should do the courtesy of letting Brooklyn know what the question is in advance. So we both had a little time to think about this. I don't know that my answer is going to be very good, even given that. But the question is, what is an easy item on your bucket list that you haven't done or checked off yet? And I wasn't familiar with the phrase bucket list um, until, I don't know, a few years ago, there was that movie, The Bucket List, which I never saw, but I was like, that's a weird name for a movie. And then I found out, oh, this is a list of things that you make to do before you kick the, the bucket, bucket. <laughs> before you, so this is a before you die list, which, you know, the bucket list, that sounds much more pleasant and jovial, but no, this is before you die, you know, what, uh, what do you, what's something easy that you'd like to do <laughs> before you die that you haven't gotten around to yet? So when you sent the question, I was thankful. I was like, well, that's that's really kind that he gave me time to prepare. Um, that might have helped if somebody like myself had written a bucket list. But that <laughs> yeah. was more of my challenge. Was like, we talked about even before we started doing this, our organizational skills. And yeah. I'm not that great of a planner. Me so either. I think not having a list falls into that. Where, yeah. But if you get thinking about it, you're like, okay, what are things I want to do? I got hung up on the something easy and I'm like, what's well, a I'm like, yeah. easy as in like, why haven't you done it yet? Where it Yeah, it's easy. like it's, if it's easy, I would have done it. Yes. Well so part of the things all that kept coming to mind is because I'm not a planner and I don't have this list of things. Most recently I've got it in my head that I want to ride a bull before I die. You want to ride a bull? I do. Oh, no, no. That's what's going to bring about your death. That will be the last thing you do yeah. before you die. <laughs> what in the world? Why? Um, yeah, it's exciting. I don't know. I like watching bull riding. Like, Did was, you grow up on a ranch or I, something? I or? didn't. I wish I did. Um, my dad is from my own. My dad, I just, I, I thought this about him. I had just gone and watched bull riding. I'd watched bull riding before, and it was at a place where... They have some amateur people who I think are wanting to get on the pro circuit, but it's it's at a place where they have these people who are who belong on a bull, and then some people <laughs> you can literally call and say like, "I would like to ride a bull here," <laughs> and I was like, "I want to do that someday." Oh my gosh! And, and, uh, if if you know Julia, very good friend of mine, she lives with me. We were there together. She was like talking about my dad, and my dad is he grew up in Wyoming. She goes. I bet Bart's ridden a bull. And I go, I was like, you know, I'd have to double check. And I was like, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's rode something that's bucked him off. But I was like, I was talking with my mom after it. She was like, oh yeah, he's for sure ridden a bull. And I was like, par for the course. Yes, of course he's ridden a bull. But I was just like, I want to ride a bull. Oh my gosh. Other safer ones. Like when you were talking about things. I'd also love to learn the piano. <laughs> that one's a little bit more I thought you were saying there were safer bulls. I was like, no, I don't no. know if that's true. But, but when I think, again, I said I don't really have a list. So oh, hang when on. I think okay. about things, I'm like, Look. it's either ride a bull or learn to play the piano. Oh, my gosh. So, okay. <laughs> Back to the bull thing. Okay. Um, that's frankly more interesting than learning to play the piano. <laughs> have, you, have you been on a mechanical one yet? Yes. Did they... Have they done a mechanical bull at Fall Festival in the past any, at any time? I'm trying to remember if they have or not. Ooh, if we're putting requests in. Oh, my gosh. So you've been on a mechanical bull. 
Yes. Okay. They, they must have settings on that kind of thing, like gonna die and like kind of crazy would be like the high and the low scale or... or yeah. And okay. I mean, I feel like the last time it, it was probably like six years ago that I did a mechanical bull, but it, do you, was, and it do you, was in Wyoming. So those people were like, all right, we'll crank it up. So did you get, did you even, do you eventually fall off in that experience? That's how that works? Yeah. Cause it's normally in, yeah, like a bounce yeah. house setting. Kind yeah. Of oh my gosh. That's... That's so unsafe. <laughs> well, please send us video. <laughs> I was just about to ask, will you come and be in the stands? I don't think I could day. be. I don't think I could be All there. Right. I don't think I could be there because I'd be thinking she's gonna die. Um, and so I would rather like when it's done, someone say Brooklyn rode a bull. She's fine. I'm like, okay, great. Now okay. I can watch the video. You know, but I mean, like if Brooklyn rode a bull, she broke her back or whatever. I don't want to see that video. I don't want to see that. I need to know the end of the story is okay, and then you can show me the video. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so for me, I didn't have a bucket list. This is this. So I had to kind of come up with something. And so the, the closest thing I could come up with, because it was like you said, the easy thing yeah. is like, how do you, well, what's easy? So I, instead I modified mine to like, well, something I want to do that maybe is time. It's not too difficult, but it is time consuming. And so it's been taking me a while to get around to it. And, um, I studied, uh, a vocal performance singing in, in college and learned that the, the male voice hits its prime, uh, in the thirties. And that, and that kind of goes into its forties or sevens kind of starts waning sometime in maybe the late forties or the fifties or something like that. And, and I, I've never done a, like a dedicated, uh, singing project, like a music project. Um, I've done audio drama and stuff like that, but I've never like taken the time out to make like an album for lack of a better word. And, uh, and, and so that's been on my mind and I think I'm, I've locked into kind of like an idea that I have a concept for it, um, but it's slow going. So I, I think I'm going to be starting work on that maybe in the next few months, but I think, but that's probably going to be like a multi-year project before it's all done, just because I don't have time to really make it a, a huge focus. But I would say that's probably the thing before my voice starts kind of fit, you know, petering out on me, you know, and <laughs> I want to get that done, but um I can't wait to listen to it because <laughs> we all love your voice. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be anybody's style of thing. My my tastes are a little particular, I suppose. But anyway, <laughs> um, as a reminder, you can message us on Instagram or Facebook with. Oh, yeah, yeah. This thing with suggestions for fun things that we could do or talk about. So if you checked out and you're like, this is boring, then it's your fault. You need to send us suggestions, ideas, questions, whatever. That's on you. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, we are going to move things along. We had, uh, Brooklyn and I, a great conversation with Doug and Teresa Shepard, talking to them about their life, their uh, their long-term ministry uh, overseas, and about just a, a really difficult uh, experience that they had as parents. I mean, there was so much to that conversation. I cannot wait for you guys to listen to it. So I hope you buckle in and really enjoy. <music> 
Well, Doug and Teresa, thank you guys so much for being willing to do this. I know this is kind of a weird thing to sit down and have these mics put in front of your faces and and talk about you know all kinds of stuff for a while, but uh, appreciate you guys doing this. Um, I wonder if you could start by giving me a just kind of a brief snapshot of your current stage of life, so you could talk about if you're if you're working or just kind of what your days tend to be filled with, um, number of kids, their kind of ages, just the, those kinds of things. This is like this is by the way, if anybody's ever wondered why I say stage of life, I was like always trying to figure out okay, how do I because nobody can see like who we're talking to. And I'm like, how do I get people a sense of like, you know, how old people are without saying, so how old are you guys, you know? <laughs> but actually more importantly, that is those, those kind of details of like, what is your, what is your day-to-day look like? What's kind of like your life situation right now? Well, we are starting the retirement phase of our life. Okay. Um, we have five kids. Um, they range from 31 to 41. Okay. And we have four grandkids, all under five. Okay. So that's our phase. And for me, this phase is mainly about being a grandma. Mm. When did you guys retire? Like how you said you're starting into it. How long ago was that you started into retirement? About a year ago. Okay. And what were you doing before then? For me, I was doing the same thing. So we're going retirement based on what Doug was doing. But Okay. It really didn't change very much, mm-hmm. so I think that the term retirement is just one that we're using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little shift in how our income comes in, etc. Oh, yeah. But honestly, we're working more now than we were before. Oh man, <laughs> which is nice. We like that. Oh, okay. Um, the idea of oh wow, now I have endless days stretching ahead of me. Yeah, is not appealing. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we, you know, my days, yeah. Um, you know, I work on cars on some days, uh, enjoy uh, working at a local uh, charter school, really enjoy that. Usually work Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, what, kind of work is, what kind of work is that? Um, primarily, primarily as an aide. Okay. Um, um, working with kids in uh, kindergarten, uh, primarily first, uh, second grade, uh, really enjoy that. Um, Enjoy helping out, enjoy supporting the teachers, um, and uh, helping them do what they want, what they need to do. Wow! And, uh, being around kids, I enjoy kids. I love, love kids. I've always loved working with kids, teaching them, and helping them. I uh, feel drawn to kids with with struggles. Oh, really? They're struggling with certain areas, and whether mathematics or or uh, English or spelling or whatever. Hmm. Um, or even other kinds of problems. I'm, I feel drawn to help them and, and try, try and minister to them and help just uh, encourage them. Mm-hmm. That's like, I, I used to, like years ago, uh, before our oldest, who's now in high school, started kindergarten, I had for about a seven-year stretch done substitute teaching. And I learned early on, I was like, I am not built for elementary school. I'm going to stick. And then after that, I was like, I'm also not built for junior highs. <laughs> I really appreciate those of you who are wired to really love being with kids and that kind of, just kind of the chaos and the energy that comes with that. So good on you. Yeah. I mean, they're the future. Yeah. And these early years are the time you make the difference. Mm. Doug won't tell you, but he's kind of the school grandpa. Mm. If he misses a few days, the teacher's like, where were you, Mr. Shepard? We needed you. Mm. I overheard a teacher say, every school should have a Mr. Shepard. Oh, that's so cool. 
And what uh, what kind of before you entered into this phase, what kind of like work were you doing? So I, I was a, a pastor in the Azores, uh, Portugal. Okay, we were missionaries there. Okay, uh, felt uh, led of God in in the early '80s to to go to the mission field and uh, became a Christian. When I was probably 12 or 13 years old as a result of a Billy Graham crusade on, on TV. Oh, like we're now, were you uh, watching on TV or you were present in the audience while it was being filmed or? So in, interesting. So I raised by, by a single mom uh, mm-hmm. in Illinois and uh, was baptized because everybody else was being baptized and never really had a, a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And yeah. So mom uh, went to a choir practice i think it was on a thursday night and um so with nothing else to do i turned on the tv and i caught the end part of a billy graham crusade and he um he presented the gospel so clearly Mm. and for the first time in my life i i I felt god's conviction because um uh, i was not the best kid Mm. Uh, i stole from this local store okay uh from my mom's purse i lied you know all those things that maybe not every little kid did but i did them mm. but you know god well the mom's purse is a classic yeah, i i think if yeah. everybody's taking something gum come on at least yeah. some gum you know I, I was going from there to credit cards and no i'm just kidding but uh no so you know god's hand his finger was on on my heart and and it was simply god was saying doug you, you are a sinner and mm. you're lost mm. And I felt that conviction, and he he continued to explain uh, about what, what Christ did for for me on the cross. And I remember very clearly at the end of the broadcast, I just turned off the TV and got down on my knees and mm-hmm. asked Jesus to to save me. Mm. And uh, then uh, thing, you know, things changed, um, home life changed. Uh, my mom remarried. We moved to Phoenix, Arizona. Finished out my high school years. My high school years were away from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my first year of college, uh, I wanted to be an accountant, and um, you know, because I, I was thinking in accounting there would be uh, comfort, mm. there'd be money. Mm-hmm. I really liked money, and uh, and then, <clears throat> but I was uh, not very happy during that time, and experiment, experimented with various things, and um, God, he he, uh, he pursued me, he pursued me, he, he he spoke to my heart, he said, Doug. Why are you living like this? You're not happy. Hmm. I had to agree with him. And he said, come back. Return to me. Hmm. And I did. I started reading my Bible, started growing. And soon after that, uh, the Lord uh, spoke to my heart about being a missionary, hmm. about um, going on to the, to, to the foreign field. And I said, whatever you want. I was at that point. I said, uh, here I am. Uh, here I am. Whatever you want. Wherever you want. Hmm. And uh, my youth director uh, said, you need to go to Bible school. And, when, and I said, I'm, I'll go wherever. Hmm. And uh, we went in the, in the fall of 76. Mm-hmm. Fall of 76. And um, <clears throat> I remember being on the campus. It was at uh, Bob Jones University. Okay. But, and so I'm on the campus. The first day on campus, I had this peace in my heart. Mm-hmm. I had never had before. Hmm. You know, it was like God saying, "You are right where I want you to be. Hmm. Prepare, serve, listen, learn." 
And I did. It was a great place for me. Mm. And, and then uh, I met Teresa there, and um, we were married. And then uh, later on, I heard about the, a need in the Azor Islands. And in 1984, we went there. Okay. And, uh, I want to, yeah, I want to circle back to that. Let me rewind for a second and, and look at Teresa's track a bit. So Teresa, did you grow up in a Christian home or how did you find yourself coming to faith in Jesus? When I was very little, my parents were very young parents and we lived in the parsonage of a brethren church and in exchange for rent, my parents cleaned the church. Okay. So I was in the church all the time. You said a brethren church? Mm-hmm. I think... When I, when I was younger, we went to a Lutheran Brethren Church. That's not the same thing, is it? It's, not, it's just a just called a Brethren Church, as far as just, you know. Okay. Okay. I don't think I'm familiar yeah. with that. But it was in a little valley in Pennsylvania, so basically it was just teaching the Bible. Okay. The where in Pennsylvania? My wife is from um, Grove City. Right in the center of Pennsylvania. Okay. Near Huntington. Okay. I was born in Pennsylvania. I just wanted to throw my Pennsylvania oh. ness where? in there. Yes. Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Okay, so Huntington. State College is the area that I'm from. Okay. Cool. Okay. Holly, new friends. New friends. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. So go ahead. You were... Well, I was enthralled with that church. So on Sundays, all the people would come and I would beg my parents to take me. But what ended up happening is my dad would stand at the door and watch while I crossed the lawn and I couldn't get the door open. So I would kick the door. And the people in the back row listened for me Okay. and would open the door. I was still in the nursery. I was two when I started going to church by myself. Oh. Um, that's just God calling. Wow. And faithful Sunday school teachers. Mm. That nursery teacher taught me that Jesus loves me. Mm. And then the first grade teacher was a man, our neighbor, who also taught me how much Jesus loved me. And real introduction to the Bible. Mm. Very, very into the Bible. Bible was open every class. Mm. Um, and then when I was 10, I went there faithfully mm. all through my childhood. Also during that time, my grandmother had a friend who was a missionary. And every time she got one of those blue onion skin airmail envelopes, she would say, we have a new letter from Mrs. White's daughter, so we have to read it. And I believe she was in the Philippines. but. I credit my grandmother with being used of God to show me my calling. Mm. I don't remember when I didn't know I would be a missionary. Mm. That's just always been on my life. Mm. Um, My parents were saved when I was 10, and around that time I also came to understand what salvation was and purposely asked Jesus into my life. Mm. Um, But I was always aware that Jesus loved me, and I just chalked that up to Sunday school teachers. Mm. We changed churches when my parents were saved, and again, two Sunday school teachers taught me about reading my Bible every day and memorizing the scripture. Um, Cannot stress enough the importance of Sunday school teachers to little children. Mm. The Catholic Church said, give us a child until they're five, and we have them for life. Mm. And um, it feels sometimes like when you're the teacher of the little kids, like babysitting, it's not. Hmm. That is the time mm-hmm. when you sow the seed of the gospel. Hmm. That is the time that's going to determine the whole rest of their life. Hmm. It, it did for me. Wow. Anyway. Wow. That is really interesting. Um, so then you guys met at Bob Jones University, mm-hmm. you said? Mm-hmm. Okay. Just like 
bumped into each other in class and like, you know. No, I want to tell you that story. Okay. <laughs> Middle of my freshman year. So Bob Jones is in Greenville, South Carolina, and I'm from central Pennsylvania and a real homebody farm girl. I was so homesick my okay. first semester. Mm. I cried myself to sleep mm. every night. Oh, man. And came back after Christmas and called my, my parents and said, I'm, I'm coming home. I, I can't stay here. And my dad said, you need to stay through the end of the year, and we'll discuss it over the summer, but you need to stay. Understand that my dad is a man of few words who never told us what we had to do. Hmm. But he said, you need to stay. And then he said, what are you doing to serve God? I said, I'm in Bible college. (laughs) No, what are you doing to serve God now? Hmm. So the next week, I signed up for a children's outreach group, but we had no driver to take us. And there was an office on campus that would hook up ministries with drivers, et cetera. Okay. And the next Saturday, Doug pulled up and picked us up. And we've been ministering to children ever since. Oh, wow. That was how we met. Wow. Okay, so then fast forward, you mentioned becoming uh, missionaries in the Azores. Um, I had to Google that. I didn't, I, I was like, this, I think this place is made up. <laughs> yes, so we were... This mission board had an office on campus, and Doug was friends with the guy who ran the office. And he'd stop in once in a while and, you know, see what was up, who was, who was on the field, whatever. And one day he came home. We were already married, and he said, "How would you like to go to the Azores?" I said, "All right, where's that?" He said, "I have no idea." Lights up, and we'll go to the library. So oh we went to the gosh. library. We read the 1975 February National Geographic which was pretty much untrue, and <laughs> that was a done deal. Wow. But we found out where the Azores were, so that, okay. was, yeah, that yeah. was a key thing. And then we found out, <laughs> you know, the, the needs there. and so, how, so tell me that. Yeah, like, so what, I mean, the, this place was mentioned, other than hearing the name of it, what drew you to, what, what did you know about, what did you get the sense of the need was there? We had a letter, so what, what Doug found out in the office that day he came home was, um, there was a letter from a couple who was there serving, okay. saying there was just such a lack of the gospel. Mm. Um, the, the country was very religious, but very shallowly religious. There okay. were no personal relationships with Jesus. Okay. And there was a real lack of the gospel in the villages. Mm. Um, and that's what spoke to us. Before that, before I met Doug, I was thinking of the... Um, nomadic pygmies in Africa, Mm. really thought I would go there and just live among them. Mm. That was my plan. Wow. Um, Or the island nation of Mauritius also was was on my mind. When I was 14, I heard a missionary talk about running a boarding school for missionary kids and how parents would drop off their six-year-olds and come get them in nine months. Mm. And to me, that was just wrong. Mm. I'm a big believer in the Genesis order of responsibility. So God created man, man's responsible to God. God created man a wife, responsible to your spouse, and then they had children. And we don't see ministry until the New Testament. Mm. So human beings were created for that hierarchy. Mm. And I do not believe that your job in ministry should take any precedence over those first three responsibilities. Mm, And in that service, I determined I would major in elementary education and go live with those families wherever they were and teach their children so they could stay at home. Or 
if I did get married and have kids, then I would teach my own kids at home. Hmm. So I was 14 when I decided to homeschool my kids. And hmm. Somebody, when we were dating, said, well, I'd be willing to think about it. I said, oh, well, you better think about it now because this is not negotiable. <clears throat> Either you agree or have a good life. I've never thought about it before, so I, you know, okay, sounds good. So, so go ahead. I was just going to clarify, you guys obviously met at school. Did you guys get married and you were still going to school? Mm -hmm. And were you still in school when you were trying to, when you had gone to the admissions office? Yes. Like, were you still, mm -hmm. you still had coursework mm -hmm. to be doing? Okay. Right. Right. We got an undergrad a degree in missions and then stayed on for a master's degree in, in Bible. And it was in that, in, in between the two years of the master's degree, uh, we got married. And that's when we, I forget, it was during that time, uh, the second year of the master's program that mm -hmm. we felt the, the need and saw the need of the Azores and found out where they were and started, make, started the process of applying and I believe that was January of 81. <clears throat> and then we went to the field in November of 84. Okay, so then if I didn't get my details mixed up, which is very possible, <laughs> um, you, the nature of your work, at least there, Teresa, was uh, elementary education. Um, Doug, is that th the same thing? Were you guys both engaged in the same kind of work there, or what kind of work were you doing? We went as church planters. Okay. It was a church planting ministry. Okay. The level of education in the Azores at the time we went was fourth grade was the highest required level. Gotcha. So oh. even his preaching was often with a flannel board and a white board, and mm -hmm. the same thing over and over, just introducing people to who is Jesus, Yeah, what is the Bible. Mm. Yeah, we, we had uh, so many different things, different ministries. We had uh, a prison ministry where on Saturdays I would go into the prison on the island and with my accordion, and we'd have some songs. I'd have a, a Bible teaching there. We had, we had a ministry. I worked with uh, uh, drug addicts and alcoholics. We, uh, our home was fairly close to the... Uh, Centro de Sud or the the mental mental health facility okay. where they would where people would go and so I was uh, up there on a regular basis helping some of the guys. Wow, got um, locked in one night. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Well, one time I was there uh, counseling some guys with my motorcycle. I drove in and uh, I stayed late because when you're talking with someone, you don't want to say I have to leave. So I they closed the gates on me. And then, okay. I had to convince him that I was not uh, a patient there. Oh man! Uh, I actually, you know, lived outside, and they let me out. But uh, <laughs> again, this story, yeah, heard this yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so neat to see uh, people come to Christ mm. uh, in a, in a, a hard situation, and uh, but it's it's even harder when you see those uh, men get out and they start hanging around their old friends again, mm. and then. Um, then they'll overdose, and uh. Then, uh, then you have a funeral for them. Jeez. And it's, um, six it's, funerals in one six-month period. Oh, my gosh. Very hard to, to see what, what the drug situation did with, with those men. That, um, so in seeing their families. And, but uh, so we, we worked with you know, the, those people, uh, Portuguese, uh, English-speaking as well. Uh, and um, had kids ministries. We had a wanna club there at the church. Um, 
Man, you guys were wearing so many hats. So many hats. My gosh. But um, in the end, we had a, a service in the morning on Sundays in English. And then in the evenings, we would have Portuguese services. And um, Saturdays, we had the clubs, the kids' clubs. And through the week, we had Bible studies. We would uh, go out to various areas in the city with uh, chairs and my accordion and yeah we got to tell jessica board. you got to talk to jessica about the accordion <laughs> so, she, she would hear me play one time and then uh and he said well thanks for coming <laughs> it was not the greatest but the kids like liked it and gave some music and i did i do you, you do what you can you, yeah um and you have to be really flexible and uh where there's an opportunity to present the gospel you do it and um but uh, so, you know, our church wasn't big, but uh, I really felt, I felt, uh, I, you know, I was doing what God wanted me to do. And I, I thought, well, I'm, I'm just going to die here. Hmm. I, I, I will stay here. You know, God had provided for our needs. And um, it, was, it was just simply where God wanted us to be. Yeah. And uh, wow. uh, didn't have the money that an accountant might have had, but... Uh, I had that peace in my heart that I was doing what God wanted me to do, hmm. and that and He always took care of our our needs for housing and vehicles and health care and um, it, oh. it a great blessing. Hmm. Through our whole ministry, through my whole life, I've seen the hand of God leading and guiding, leading by opening doors, leading by closing doors. It's been really, really obvious. Hmm. And I don't know why God chose to make himself so obvious in my life. I know other people struggle with what to do. And I'm at a phase in my life where I have struggled with hmm. knowing what's next because I'm just used to God saying, okay, go here, go here, let's do this, hmm. do this, do this. And then suddenly, here you are. Yeah. Uh, so that's coming off the mission field has been hard. Hmm. But we've been very busy and God still leads and guides. But even where we were living, um, we served two years with another missionary, the one that had sent the letter to the office, et cetera. We served two years under them, learned the language. Um, I had a neighbor that God put next to me who was a very young mom in the midst of a nervous breakdown, but she liked me. And she would come knock on my door every afternoon. She had a daughter the same age as my daughter and just make her way on into my house mm. and point to things <laughs> and say the word in Portuguese. Huh. You say it, you say it. Huh. Oh, wow. And she really, really helped me learn Portuguese. Wow. Because she wouldn't leave if I didn't say all these words. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, God put her there wow. for me to learn that. We were, mm. we were able to teach rudiment, rudimentarily, but in eight months. And we went there not knowing any Portuguese. Wow. And we're not that brilliant. It's just... God kept putting these people into mm. our lives, like forcing it into us, and it was amazing. And then we were looking for a village to go to. We needed to be out of our house in two years. We had a two-year contract. We started in March looking, looking, looking for houses. Either no one wanted to rent to foreigners or the places that they would rent to us were in such bad shape that we couldn't fix them up. Mm. We looked until December, and we were determined not to move into the capital city because there were already the gospel was already there. Okay, 
So we were determined to go into a village. Nothing. At least one day a week, we were out just going door to door in villages asking. Nothing. Wow. One day, Doug was in the city doing something, and on his way home, on his motorcycle, God said, look on this street. And he basically said, I don't want to live on that street. I don't want to live in the city. But he had another experience in his life where he didn't do what God told him to do, and that voice spoke, so he decided he better go back and <laughs> knocked on a door and said, and I just remember this so distinctly, your wording. He said, there's nothing to rent on this street, right? And then he said, well, right there, and they usually rent to foreigners. Mm. And two weeks later, we moved into that house. It was a mess, but we moved into that house. And Doug witnessed to the neighbor across the street, and... Later, when she passed away, her nephew inherited the house, and we inquired about buying it to start a church building, and mm. his price was too high. We couldn't really do that. Okay. A couple weeks later, that man called us and said, well, I don't really know God, but God said to sell you that house, so I'll sell it to you. Wow. And we bought it. A friend called up and said, Hey, I heard you're going to buy a friend in the States. Heard you're going to buy this place. I said, yeah. And he said, and Doug's planning on putting the down payment on his credit card, isn't he? I said, yes. And he hmm. said, well, that's an idiot idea. I'm sending you the money. <laughs> and he sent us $10,000. Oh, wow. And uh, we had the rest saved up, so we bought it free and clear. Wow. And it was, that is still a church today on that street. Wow. Um, while we lived in that little old house, knowing we only had it for one year, like, well... Guess we'll have to start looking, but we were expecting a baby due any day when we moved in there. Oh boy. Um, Doug was turning into our street, and a car came flying around a curve and wrecked into him. So we were without a car for six weeks. Oh boy. And he had to use the bus to go to town. The motorcycle also broke. Everything broke that <laughs> Dryer broke. December. Every single thing broke that December. Has that contributed to your ability to work on cars oh, yeah, now, yeah, Doug? Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to, you have to learn how to fix things. Yeah. And, you know, yep. Yes. Yep. But he was at the bus stop, and a German guy was there, and they started talking. And the German guy lived in a house just a couple of houses down. And um, German guy said, "Well, I'm leaving. You should live in my house." Like, yeah, whatever. Some other German friends said to us a few weeks later, so we heard you're going to live over in Conrad's house. We said, I said to Doug, who's Conrad? I said, well, he, he explained. And they said, we said, no, we're not. They said, um, he already talked to the landlady. She thinks you're going to live in her house. <laughs> and the rent was like $100 a month for a four-bedroom big house with an office and a nice yard. Hmm. And we eventually, we moved in, we eventually bought it, and we still have that house today. Oh, wow. But just how God provided that that house. I mean, we didn't even have to go looking for the next one. Yeah, just, wow. Because our car was wrecked, we got this fantastic house, and God's just done things like that for us. Wow. There were a lot of missionaries there with different organizations, and they had certain requirements. They had to have so much raised for their work and so much raised for their housing and so much raised. Our mission field said, well, raise what you can. I mean, our mission board. And we did. And yet, somehow, we always had more than everybody else. Mm. What our board required was half of what everybody else required. Mm. But, you know, a friend remodeled her kitchen and said, here, you can have my solid cherry cabinets. Um, wow. Cars. Everything. Everything came to us, and people commented, how do you get all this stuff? I'm like, 
Oh, we don't know. It just it's wow. God. Mm-hmm. God is just always, always provided. Wow. In miraculous ways. And I don't know why. I know people struggle. But I'm just thankful, really thankful. And you said that was characteristic of just your time in general there, <clears throat> yeah. right? How, how many years were you guys there? 21. 21, 21 years. years. It is interesting. So the, the area that God led us to uh, is just outside of the capital city of Ponta Delgada in San Miguel, uh, in the Azores. So just outside the city is an area called Belém. Okay. Belém. So Belém in Portuguese is Bethlehem. So what better place for the shepherds to go oh in Bethlehem? Oh my gosh! And so, wow. uh, so Igreja Baptista de Belém was was the name of our church. Hmm. And we were the shepherds, and so, so I was called uh, pastor. So pastor mm-hmm. in Portuguese is shepherd. Yeah. So I was pastor, pastor. Mm. <laughs> and, and Teresa was the pastora, mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. feminine version of uh, pastor, but. Um, really, God had it, He wanted us there, without a doubt. Wow. And um, He still wants us there. It's just uh, He, uh, you know, the influence that you have wherever you live doesn't end when you leave. Hmm. Uh, the people that we met, people still know us. Um, um, people that we've given tracts to and Bibles to, and talked with and met up. Uh, some some have passed away, but others are still there. And uh, you never know what God uh, does with a seed that has been planted, even you know, ten, twenty years ago. You never know what when that seed will will blossom and will eventually bear fruit. So you 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 know, even though it was, it was a hard and difficult field, we didn't have the numbers. We didn't have a lot of things. You, you trust that. The seed that is planted, the word of God that's planted, the friendships that are made, the things that you do will ultimately bear fruit and bring glory to God. Hmm. Um, just one thing that comes comes to my mind: um, one of the young when we were living in that house, um, we had a, a group of young people that came over, and <clears throat> uh, the the. Uh, uh, grandfather of one of the kids was an alcoholic hmm. and um, so just and, and really didn't like us very much one of, the, one of the times when we had the church in our garage he came into the garage and I was preaching and uh, he uh, basically cursed me out in front of in the church and okay. then just got up and left hmm. well uh, you know around the same time period the young man came and said my grandpa's drunk passed out in the middle of the street mm. and you know he's going to um he's gonna get hit so we we get a wheelbarrow and we go up the street and we put this big man into the wheelbarrow oh man and we're wheelbarrowing him back to his house oh, gosh you know and but that, that same man probably um months later had a stroke and I talked to him uh, about Jesus again, and um, uh, he trusted the Lord as mm. the Savior. And a few months later, he passed away. And mm. uh, this, these little seeds, these little acts of kindness, these words um, that you that you uh, 
give and the things that you do make a difference mm. and you, you have to keep on going you you can't give up you keep you do what's right and sometimes you can't you don't know the future but someone said one time if you don't know the future just do the next right yeah. thing mm. one step at a time and and that's simply what we did and tried to um uh, to be a blessing and so we we miss the Azores. We still like to go back every year mm-hmm. if we can, or twice a year, and uh, we see our people. And but um, you know, God's kind of changed our focus a little bit. So I'm so I'm still teaching. I love to teach. Okay, and love to work on things and um, do work on cars for, for a really good price. Okay, <laughs> got to put a little plug in there for the business. But, um, uh, but we just enjoy it mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, whenever I pray in the morning, I say, especially before on the days when I go to school, I say, Lord, help me to be a light and a blessing, mm. a light for Jesus Christ and a blessing. Mm. And um, that's what that's what it is. Wow. Uh, so you guys were there for 21 years, and I'm told that at some point you lost a child during that time. And I'm wondering if you could uh, talk about how that happened. And then uh, I'll have maybe some other questions after that. So in 2002, our second daughter followed our first daughter back to the States for college. And uh, they came home for Christmas, and the oldest daughter wanted to go back early to be with friends, so she did. And our second daughter was on her way back. She flew to Boston, which was the normal route, and then caught another flight to Charlotte, and then from Charlotte, a little puddle jumper to Greenville, where the college was. And on takeoff from Charlotte, their plane crashed and everyone was killed. Mm. So, obviously, the worst day of my whole life. Yeah. Um, and the day that we began to learn so many things about God. And God began to open our eyes and renew our spiritual growth with that. Mm. We were serving God. We came from a religious culture that had its own way of doing things and its own attitudes toward other people who weren't part of that culture. Without getting far into that, God really opened our eyes. When you say you came, sorry, just for clarity, when you say you came from that culture, do you mean that was the culture you were raised in or where you had been in uh, the Azores? university. I see, okay. And so then that was how we did ministry. Okay. Though, even saying that, God was very good to help us at times step back and say, well, that might be how you do ministry in the United States, Mm. but that's not working here. Mm. Um, One of those things was our Sunday morning service. No one came. Hmm. So we quit having it. Okay. Within months, a group of American servicemen came to do a project. Their captain was a believer, heard of us, asked Doug to come do Bible studies, then asked if we would do an English church service because we had quit the morning service Mm -hmm. and moved Sunday school to the evening, which no one in the U.S. did. Mm -hmm. Sunday evening church is just, anyway. (laughs) We were able to have the English service. Hmm. By the time those people left, we had other people who wanted English services. And then Doug started an outreach. He just put cards in hotels, and the hotels were so happy. They said, we have tourists all the time that ask if there's an English-speaking church. So we've met people from all over the world through that. Hmm. So God was already working in us. We were ripe to walk away from some of the 
traditions that weren't working that we had picked up. Mm -hmm. Religion, well, Jesus had trouble with religious people too. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but Christiana was killed in that plane crash. She was 18. Mm. Um, we headed back to the States, went to Pennsylvania where my folks were, all the things, you know, family, friends, relatives, etc. Um, and, and God, again, put people and friends in our lives who were just the right encouragement. Hmm. And also some people who showed us that, um, that what was important, what was important, loving other people. Um, just trying to set up her memorial service was such a struggle hmm. with the pastor of the church that we had come from because, well, you have to do it like this and you have to do it like this hmm. and you have to do it like this. And uh, I remember his comment, well, you don't want to offend people just because it's a moment of high emotion. Hmm. You know, when, when this is over, you don't want people to be offended with you. Hmm. And I remember my comment to him, so I tend to speak my mind. My comment to him was, you know, my daughter's body is in a box in South Carolina. This doesn't get better. Yeah. And I don't care if those people are offended. Mm. And all this was over not wanting to have an organ play in the mm. funeral. Oh, boy. It was just such a big issue. Wow. The music. It had to be particular sacred music. It was so mm. many things. But we were already, like I said, on the verge of stepping out of that. And I only bring these things up, not to criticize those who feel like that, but to say, even in that, God was showing us a better way, hmm. a way that he was going to want us to live hmm. without the trappings and with a whole lot more, the intensity he was already building in us, mm -hmm. that that could burst forth and we could have a new witness and a new testimony. Hmm. Um, so yes, Christiana died. In that plane crash, our other kids have suffered a lot from that. Um, for me, God, from the very beginning, showed me his sovereignty and his love can get me through anything. Hmm. Um, that God has a plan. The technical reason for Christiana's death was corporate greed and personal um, lack of work ethic. Hmm. It was a maintenance issue, mm. but when it was investigated, there were 21 recommendations that the NTSB had mm. to make, and normally they make one or two. They said this was a disaster just waiting to happen. Oh, boy. Even in that, um, you know, you tend to say that this is God's will, and we move on. But I have a cousin in the aviation industry, and he, he came to Pennsylvania and just walked around by my side all the time. And he said, I know you and Doug, and I know where your thoughts are headed with this. You know, you just leave it go. He said, every regulation in the airline industry is written in blood, and you cannot let this blood go be wasted. Hmm. He said, there were problems here, and I can tell you right now what they were, and that was before the investigation. Hmm. But we didn't, we didn't know how to do any of that. I mean, I'm a farm girl from Pennsylvania. I went to an island in the middle of the Atlantic. Yeah. As they say in the Azores, dumb as a turnip. <laughs> and, uh, you know, her? Amanda, our oldest daughter, 
got a packet from an attorney's office at college and threw it away. The next day I was talking to her about, you know, we don't know what to do, and she said, wait, I'm gonna see if this packet's still here. She said, no, it's not here, but I remember one name. And I decided to call that, look that up and call that company. And those attorneys were specialists mm. in aviation law and in what happens. Mm. And even so, our goal was kind of like, well, you know, I don't know. What, 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 you can't what can undo it. Yeah, you can't undo it. Mm-hmm. But we realized we could make a difference. Mm. And we struggled with that. But sometimes God calls you to make a difference in the evil in the world. Hmm. What we did had no spiritual impact. Well, wrong, it did, but that wasn't the plan. We didn't know that at the time. But Hmm. it's like, no, there's evil happening, and we have the opportunity to raise a voice. Hmm. And we're going to. Doug said once, there's there's nobody else to speak for all those people. Hmm. Most of them were men, and the few that... You know, they they left wives or elderly parents who didn't didn't have what it took to do that, and God led us to these attorneys who were so kind, and we said, what we want is an apology. Hmm. They knew what they were doing was leading to this, and we want an apology. And they said, you you should, you should get an apology, but that doesn't happen in the legal realm because of the ramifications mm. it would have for the future, you know. And my attitude was fine, then we go to court and the whole world can find out what they're doing. They, everybody can know that 80% of inspectors inspect 20% of maintenance facilities. Mm. Everybody can know these things. Yeah. A whole lot of that, I get started on that and I tell you all this stuff. <laughs> but the point was that those attorneys said, if that's what you want, that's what we will fight for, hmm. and we will prepare to go to court. Hmm. And in our negotiations that we were required to do, there was a point at which the presiding judge, who was a believer and was very considerate toward us, said, well, you know, if you would agree to a monetary sum then they could work on an apology, and it would be a show of good faith on your part. Hmm. I said, you know what my husband does? We, we were back from the Azores for this negotiation. He is missing a week of influencing people's eternal destination. The fact that he does not earn $450 an hour does not mean that his work is less important. Mm-hmm. His work is more important than all of you put together. Hmm. If that is not a show of good faith, then we're not interested. Hmm. We will not discuss financial settlements or any settlements until there's an apology on the table. Hmm. And their response was, well, you know what, we, we, it, we'll have to go to you know, our lawyers and figure out how to write it. I said, give me a piece of paper. <laughs> I wrote, said, here, this is what we want. Mm-hmm. They changed one word in the end, hmm. one word, and they made the apology. Because they knew that a court would would find in our favor. That's beside the point. But we were able to get an apology from a major airline. Hmm. We found out quite a few years later that one of those airlines involved was using our story and Christiana's picture 
in training their maintenance workers. Hmm. A friend of a friend was in the in the training and called up and said, you will not believe this. And this was eight or 10 years after the crash. As a way of saying, let's never let this happen yes. again. Yeah. Make mm. a difference. Every, yeah. mm-hmm. every bolt you forget to put in mm-hmm. is another gravestone. Mm. Every bag that you do not put in the right place is another gravestone. Mm. Um, Etc. And so we were really glad of that. Mm. I like to think that there are parents who pick up their kids at the airport safely mm. and never know that their kids got there safely because of what we did. Yeah. And I don't want them to ever know that. Yeah. But I like to believe that small planes are safer mm. because of that, because we set a precedent and legally makes a huge difference now in how airlines are even insured. Mm. In fact, when they were fighting the apology, one of their insurance people said, no, you don't understand. This will completely change how we insure airlines. Mm. And my answer was, okay. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Change. You got to do it right. Mm-hmm. And in 2005, we received an apology from the two major airlines. Um, they even said, well, what do you mean by public? said, yeah, like on the news and on the internet where every person who ever rode in a plane or ever will ride in a plane will be able to see you. Oh, okay. Um, we, we were able to make a lot of difference. And it's because of the attorneys that God led us to. They, they were not believers. Hmm. But God's hand, again, was just in every little step of that whole thing. Hmm. Um, and Christiana herself made a difference. So, she um, she would ride her scooter in the Azores up to the um, place where she worked, and uh, she stopped at a gas station uh, it regularly to fill up her little tank and um, talked to the guy there and gave him a Bible and a gospel tract. This mm. is this is years ago, and so when I go back to that gas station, even now he he remembers Christiana. Mm-hmm. He says, "I still have that New Testament." in that gospel tract that Christiana gave me, hmm. I remember. And the difference that, that she made, uh, she loved the Lord. She loved Jesus with all of her heart. And um, just one of the stories about, um, about the, the accident. So about six months after the, uh, after the memorial service, uh, we get a call from the medical examiner in Charlotte. And I'll just interject that I was panicking. Yeah. Like, they're going to um, tell me, they gave us the wrong body. Hmm. They're going to tell me, I don't know what. But. Hmm. Right, you, you don't know what. And so it was the secretary. She uh, wanted to talk with us. And I said, <clears throat> uh, what's this about? Well, we, we just need to talk with you. And um, <clears throat> so the, you know, the medical examiner had called us a number of times. And every time I talked to him, I said, uh, are you ready to meet eternity? Are you ready to die? Where will you go when you die? Mm. Uh, what about Jesus? You know, do you know about Jesus? And I, I would give him the, the gospel as, as well as I could uh, over the phone, and we we talk about it and different things. And <clears throat> a little bit later, uh, we got, got this call from him, and he he wanted to talk to us. And I'm, I'm not sure exactly the details. And we ended up being in South Carolina and had a right. personal. Right. Meeting with him. Okay. And uh, come to find out, um, it was not a problem with the examination, but it was 
the medical examiner simply wanted to uh, tell us that he had accepted Jesus as his Savior. Oh, wow. And um, he said, every time you talk to me, you talk to me about Jesus, about eternity, about life and death. And um, so at the, was it the two-year memorial? Uh, we, we went back, and I was able to preach uh, at the memorial during that time. And, it really, and we met him at the, uh, at the hotel, and really big guy, uh, very tender heart. He came up and gave me a big hug. And just said, uh, he said, thank you. Thank you for, for telling me about, about Jesus. And mm. I think he said he had a picture of Chrissy on his desk mm. uh, just to remind him. And he said, you know, um, I'm going to church and my, my wife has, has been saved and my kids are, are going. And he said, things are changing. Things have changed. And, and um, so, um, again, uh, you want to make a difference, whatever happens. You want to. We're not here just to just exist. We're here to to make a difference in the lives of people that we touch. Mm. We touch people. We touch their lives every day, and you, you wonder what kind of influence, what kind of testimony are you leaving? And many other things uh, happened, but. Um, you know, uh, Chrissy's safe. She's with the Lord. Absent from the body to, is to be present with the Lord. And one day we'll be together. And um, again, I worry about my other kids, about their safety. I don't worry about Chrissy. Hmm. You know? Um, so we just uh, and continue on. It, um, I mean, it's, it's really encouraging and interesting to hear just how uh, Chrissy's passing, the details, the circumstances of that really opened up this opportunity for you guys, as you said, to really make a, a big difference. And it sounds like that was one of one of the major ways that God was kind of working in the wake of her passing. And um, I, I'm wondering, you know, you talked about over the 21 years that you guys were in the Azores, that it was just kind of a, a recurring thing where, where God would meet your needs as you came to them. And I, I just wonder um, if it was a surprise to you. I mean, I, th- I feel like every parent at some point, and f- in s- for some of our cases, many points, wonders and worries and thinks about the idea of losing a child and wonders, you know, like, uh, I, like I can't imagine how in the world is God going to bring me through that? How will I not live in despair of just breathing for the rest of my life? Um, I wonder if you remember having any of those kinds of thoughts, musings and stuff before her passing, and and then if anything about how God met you in that surprised you, or if it met those expectations, or like, how, how would you uh, articulate that? About a year before Christiana died, maybe two um, our girls sang a special, and the song was, I know God makes no mistakes. There's a purpose in every change he makes. Hmm. And I remember sitting and thinking, I think the only change I couldn't deal with would be if he changed the number of kids I had. Hmm. I had that specific thought while they were singing that hmm. song. Hmm. And then it changed. I mean, number didn't change, but address changed. Sure, yeah. And that was 
there was despair. A few months before Christiana died, I had read a book by Randy Alcorn called Safely Home. First time I read any of his work about heaven, and in fact, this was weeks before she came home for Christmas, just weeks. And I thought, he's right. That is what heaven's like. Hmm. Gut instinct. I knew that he was right. And I don't know if you've read any of his work on heaven. I read heaven, which I really found yes. Uh, valuable. Yes. Um, it's truth. Hmm. It's really true. And so I had read that, so that helped. Um, when we got the news, you know, you have various reactions. And, and eventually, I started making all the calls, doing the stuff, doing the stuff, and, and Doug said, would you just stop? But when I stopped, then I couldn't breathe. Hmm. What you said about how would you breathe? God pushes the air into your lungs, hmm. literally. Hmm. You feel your lungs expand and contract, and you know that it's God. Mm. The Holy Spirit is breathing for you. Mm. Shortly after Christiana's accident, we were back in Pennsylvania, I picked up Lisa Beamer's book, Let's Roll, and she talks about getting the news that her husband had died on 9-11, mm. and that the Holy Spirit breathed for her mm. in the first weeks. Mm. I was so comforting to know, okay, I'm not the only one that experienced that, mm. and God will actually put the breath in your lungs to keep you alive. Hmm. And I'm very glad that we have other children. They don't fill in this space. But being completely honest, needing to be there for the other children is what kept us alive. Hmm. Because we both considered not living anymore. Yeah. Hmm. You can't help but you say, this, this pain is too big. I can't live like this. Hmm. And you believe in heaven, you think, I just, I just want to go there too. I yeah. just want to go. But God used various people to help us through that, mm. and always that idea of we have to be there for our other kids too. Mm. And they were having such a hard time. And honestly, some of them still have such a hard time. And it has affected how they feel about God. Mm. We just have to trust that God will change that in their lives in mm. His time. Um, but I, I would say to parents, don't think about, what if I lose a child? Make the memories, do the stuff, mm. be with your kid. Mm. Because whatever you think about what it would be like, it's not like that. Mm. So be with your kid, be with your family. Yeah. Make every day count. Just be there. Hmm. And that kind of plays into where I am right now. Coming off the mission field was really hard for me. But we came because we needed counsel. We needed, but also our ministry had gotten to, all the things came together. Yeah. It was time. It hmm. was very clearly time for us to come. Hmm. We came here because Doug's mom was here and needed help. And so we came, we cared for her, we ministered in another church. Um, I, was children's ministries director. Doug was junior high leader, and uh, we did a wana there. Um, and then that ministry, my mother-in-law passed away, and that ministry ended pretty close the same time. Hmm. And then we're kind of like floating. Um, we left that church. Um, 
we had homeschooling friends who had come to Red Mountain. We were saying, where are we going to go? We decided to try it out. We came. The auditorium was big. When, when was this that you first visited? We came and visited in the spring of thir- of 14. Okay. 14. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. And <laughs> it was loud, and it was dark, and <laughs> yeah. even Bob's preaching was so loud. But I noticed in the bottom of the little handout, it said, looking for people to run IT. And I thought, okay, they're just doing the best they can with the sound system for the moment. <laughs> but... When I and, and all those things that okay, this is not the kind of church I come from, not mm-hmm. sure about this. Sure. Bob opened the word and we looked at each other and said, This is our new home. Mm. Just the the word of God. We were so tired of people saying, I'm going to preach on this theme and I'm picking this verse out and this verse out yeah. and this verse out. Yeah. And when you read your Bible, you know those verses don't say that at all and so we're so refreshed Mm. just getting the word Mm. but in the fall of 2014 our youngest son fell out of a tree in down a canyon and suffered a traumatic brain injury almost Mm. lost his life Mm. spent a couple of months in in the hospital and then a year in full-time therapy again because we live in phoenix there's a fantastic therapy program where he went five days a week and all of the therapists were on a team and adjusted his plan every single day. Mm-hmm. And today he has a few things he has to deal with, but he has his life because wow. God put us here. Wow. I have to say I don't like Arizona, but it's had a lot of really good things for us. Yeah. And Red Mountain is one of them. We didn't join at Red Mountain until 15 because we were in the middle of the new believer or the new members class when Andrew fell and we couldn't both get here at the same time. We were mm. One of us had to be with him at all times. That tried my faith a lot more than Christiana's death did. I could not see a good thing Mm. in Andrew falling. Mm. Um, But Andrew's alive, so that's a good thing. And the therapy was there, and I don't... I guess I've settled with, I don't have to see. God is not required to show me what he's doing. Mm. God loves us. God has a plan. I like to know there's a plan. Mm. I don't particularly like to be in control, but if there's no plan, I'll take control because that's how I am. (laughs) But but we know that he does have a plan, and we are content at being in the place where we don't see the plan but we know that you have a plan, yeah. and there is a reason, and uh, we, we trust in him. Hmm. We trust that he, uh, he will bring things about, and uh, we may never see the plan. We may never see the reason. We may never have all the answers to our questions, but uh, we know that uh, we don't need to know all the answers, hmm. and it's okay. Hmm. God it's never okay. gives us the commandment, I want you to understand this. Yeah. That's not a commandment of God. Hmm. Commandment of God is trust me. Hmm. Know that I love you. Hmm. Be thankful, be joyful, and pray. Hmm. And it's, there's a verse, I don't know if I have it here. It's um, always be joyful, always keep on praying. No matter what happens, always be thankful, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ. I believe God had his hand on Christiana. I know that human evil is what caused her death. 
But God is not, this verse is not saying the bad things are God's will for you. It's saying it's God's will for you to be joyful, to pray, and to be thankful. Hmm. We live in a fallen, broken world. We're hmm. all going to experience it. Hmm. And uh, I'm you know, I don't think all the bad things happen to punish us or all the bad things happen. I, I don't know what, but I know that God makes straight lines with crooked sticks hmm. and God always has a plan. And in the end, his plans will always come to fruition and evil will not win. We just have to go day by day in that. I feel like that's kind of a theme I've been picking up on and, and uh, you guys in just uh, trusting that God has a plan, that he is active and purposeful and working. Um, was, do you think that that is kind of like a, a key thing that God has been teaching you over the years? Or are there, is there anything else that comes to mind that you feel like, I think God has been working on me growing and learning in this facet of what he wants me to learn, or maybe something more recently? What, what comes to mind? Is it those things or is there anything different? I think that's the major thing, yeah. at least for me. And I know a uh, year and a half, two years ago, our, our income stream kind of dried up. Mm. And so we had some, to make some changes and made some changes. But as I look back, um, that actually pushed me back into uh, business, uh, car business, mm -hmm. repair, but also with... Uh, your teaching, mm. uh, uh, just a little look, looking for extra little sources of income, and, mm -hmm. and uh, I really enjoy that. So now uh, I'm busy, and we're making a little extra income, mm. and it's been been great. But and I, I look back and I think that this might not have happened if we weren't squeezed like we were a couple of years ago, mm. and so I'm okay with that, mm. and. Uh, I think God really, really wants us to make a difference. We, you know, we're in our retirement age, more or less. But I often think, you know, when you see about people passing away at a certain age, and um, <clears throat> I don't want to pass away. I know it's going to come day, so one day, but I don't want to die uh, dying. I, I want to die living. Hmm. I want to... When my time comes, I want, to, I want it to come when I'm doing something that God wants me to do. Hmm. I don't want to just sit back in my easy chair. Hmm. I, I do like my easy chair <laughs> and my dog. But, um, I want to be doing things. I want to be productive um, until the end. Hmm. And I think that um, I, I feel like teaching uh, has been that way and repairing cars for people that are on limited income. Uh, I love doing that, and so it, for right now, this is what God wants me to do, and uh, day by day, uh, we do it. Hmm. Well, Doug, Teresa, thank you guys so much. This is, wow, this has been a rich conversation, a rich time with you guys. There's so much that I know I'll be thinking about and that I am already blessed by, so Thank you so much for your willingness to sit down and let us pick your brain and, and talk about some tender things, but also some exciting things. Uh, I have a thought to add. You know, I have not gone back to work as much as Doug. I run a little editing business, whatever. Okay. But in my struggle recently with, I, mean, I just, I want to go back to a foreign field. Mm. I just, but God pointed out to me that our little granddaughter, who's been coming to church with us for two and a half years, because I drive to Scottsdale and get her every Sunday, and hmm. 
bring her to church, sang in the children's choir on Sunday. Mm, for the, the raise up. Uh, mm-hmm. She's so excited about the new building. Mm. She said, are they building this just for me? <laughs> yes, they are. But, and her parents came this Sunday because mm. we were out of town, and I thought she's going to miss him. They said, no, we'll come. So that was exciting, too. Mm. God's ministry for me right now is my family. Mm. Um, this child is four. Mm. She, she is going through the same phase as I was when I learned how much Jesus loves me. Mm. And I have three grandchildren in town and one in Sacramento, and that is my ministry right now. I'm the only person who can be their grandma. Mm. And the only person who can do for them what my grandma did for me. Mm. So, as much as I kick against it sometimes, <laughs> um, that's my ministry right now. Just just these little souls that, that God gave us. There's a verse that says, what does it profit a man if he w- wins the whole world and loses his own soul? And I... I make a Teresa interpretation of that. These little souls are mine. Mm. So I can go win all the pygmies, and if I don't win these four little souls, what profit? Mm. So I just I want to encourage people who have little children, get them in Sunday school. It does count. If you're a teacher in Sunday school, you're the most important teacher mm. there is. You're more important than the person who speaks on the platform. You're more important than the high school leaders. Mm. You're the most important teacher. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for that. I, I think I feel like there's so much in what you said that's easy to overlook in terms of our role as parents, as Sunday school teachers, grandparents. So I appreciate you just bringing that injection of purpose and intentionality. That's a much needed thing for us to hear. Thank you guys both so much. This has been fantastic. Great. Well, thank you for having yeah. us. Thanks for giving us a chance to talk. It's been good. Yeah, thanks, guys. This is great. All right. Well, we both struggled, Brooklyn, with trying to figure out, okay, just is there just one thing that we can <laughs> mention? Because that's usually what I ask here is like, what's one thing that stood out? But I think both of us felt like, my gosh, there was a lot there. But if you were to try and narrow it down to one or two things, kind of what what's, what comes to mind that stands out? Well, so I was getting f- so fixed on it, just <laughs> tickled by the fact that the shepherds were in Bethlehem. Yeah. <laughs> and as much as I'm, I was like kind of kicking myself, like, no, that's not what I, you're, there was so much to it. But, but what I think it really why I was so fixed on that particular thing, just the irony of it. It it paints a broader picture of their story, how they were showing that God is in the details. Mm. God is so focused on the little details too. Mm. When they're talking about planting seeds or when they're just talking about the Lord showing up in faithful things, whether it was a woman stopping by because she's obsessed with Teresa Mm. and uh, and is coming and pointing at things, and she teaching her had Portuguese. A yeah, learn Portuguese that that really helped, or that they got in an accident, and he's having to take the bus, which would seem like such an inconvenience, but led to Conrad and his home mm. that is their home now. Like, yeah, that they still have there. Yeah. You just and so all of that to say, like. That, that our Lord, he he does grand things and he's in the small details. And I just felt mm. 
you can see that in their story and you can see that being such um, a revelation of himself that, that has carried them through their hardships, seeing the small details of that for a grander story of his salvific purposes. And so, yeah, I think that's what's just stuck out to me is, is our God is in the details and in the small things. They, they're his work, they're his hands. So, yeah. Yeah. It was amazing to hear about all the ways that just like as a pattern, God was providing for them again and again um, as their needs would show up, which is just like, that's kind of amazing to think about like, oh no, that's, that was just kind of a regular thing that was happening for 21 years over there. Um, and I think that what Teresa shared about, you know, the, the idea of like, as a parent worrying about, you know, what, what, how will I deal with it if my child were to die suddenly, you know, that like, it's not going to be the way you would ever imagine it to be. And so just, be in the now with your kids and love them now and specifically just their their heart for kids in general and then Teresa I think this is what actually stood out to me uh maybe most was um Teresa's conviction that that early stage of development in children's lives um is the most important uh, for their introduction to Jesus and their um, just building that foundation of their faith and how important the role of a Sunday school teacher is or uh, other workers in in those Sunday school classes with kids and of course you know we're uh, kind of hitting the, the 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 climax of the the, the raise up. Um, uh, fundraising that we've been doing for the last three years, and there's still more to be done and to be accomplished to uh, to, to get that work finished. And I think the timing of having them as guests is just really suspicious and interesting to me. You know, from trying from a from a standpoint of like, okay, I, I, this seems maybe God orchestrated that they would come, and because I had no idea what they were going to what they were going to share today and how uh, how much it would be focused on kids. But um, that really is such. An important work that I take for granted, but given um, RMCC's wonderful focus on biblical teaching and like not just let's give them little crayons and Bible story pictures to to color or whatever, and but it's it's much more intentional than that. The, the curriculum in in the classrooms, even for really young kids here, and I so appreciate that. And so it was. It's not something I tend to think of because it wasn't super formative for me, you know, but I see what Red Mountain is doing compared to what my experience was as a little kid. And I'm like, yes, I totally believe what Teresa says that like, if you have um, teachers that are really engaged in sharing the gospel and the Bible, that it can make just a, a huge, huge impact. So I appreciated them sharing that. Um. Okay, well, I think that's going to be it then for this episode of the Red Mountain Community Church podcast. You can follow Red Mountain Community Church on Instagram if you like that kind of thing, and Facebook if you like that. Uh, and you can also leave us comments there and suggestions to help make the show better, which would be great if you would do that. Uh, we don't want to just be running things based on our own little insulated ideas, but we love to get feedback and interaction from and with you guys. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening so that you don't miss out on the next episode. And if by chance you want more of me blabbing on topics relevant to Christian geeks, then you can check out my personal weekly show, The Christian Geek Central Podcast. But in the meantime, I'm Peter Franson. And I'm Brooklyn Meeker. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Sunday. Bye.